Hello, and welcome to episode 63 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today are the duo behind the Bingeables podcast, Chinlin and Isaac. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Happy Emmy Sunday. How's your weekend been? Uh, thanks. It's been good. Just uh, doing our normal thing, uh, staying home and safe, um, watching lots and lots of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chinlin, you joined me earlier this year to talk about season three of Westworld. This is a show that I don't have a lot of love for anymore. So it is nice to have you on again, and this time with your co-host, to talk about a show that I thought had an excellent season one, and I was very excited to see where they were going to take it. So this week, we will be discussing season two of the Amazon original show, The Boys. However, unlike season one, which dropped all eight episodes at once, season two actually released its first three episodes three weeks ago, and is releasing one episode per week going forward. So we're only able to talk about the first five episodes of season two, but it does give us the unique opportunity to talk about what we want to see for those remaining three episodes of the show and, um, or I should say of the season and where we want the show to go after this season. So what we'll do is we'll warm up very briefly with spoiler-free thoughts on the show and uh, a bit about season two specifically before running into spoilers for the bulk of the cast. And then we'll finish up, as always, with our point two section, where we talk about what else we've been watching. So let's start with a synopsis of The Boys. TV show synopsis on IMDb are always super short. So this one says, A group of vigilantes set out to take down corrupt superheroes who abuse their superpowers. The Boys stars Carl Urban, Aaron Moriarty, Jack Quaid, and Anthony Starr, as well as many other talented people. And it is created by Eric Kripke. Greatest superhero team the world's ever seen, the Seven. Is there anything I can help you with? I'm not gonna piss you about, Chewie. I heard what happened to Robin. You ain't alone, son. Soups lose hundreds of people each year to collateral damage. I can't stop. I can't stop. Robin! They were my fitness on the front page. That's where I mean the boys are coming. I never wanted to ever be over. Spank the bastards when they get out of line. Can you control her, please? You need to unclench your asshole. Why don't you two carry on like a bunch of fucking twins? You got a fucking job to do. I'm invincible, stupid motherfuckers. So I guess I'll throw to Chinlin first and just ask, what are your general thoughts on the show overall? So season one and season two combined. Okay. Season one, I felt was very bingeable. Uh, I <laughs> watched it. I literally watched it on a Friday night and finished it uh, Saturday afternoon. So a day and a half. I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, that's not to say it was perfect, but it was quite sus suspenseful, which I enjoyed. Um, and it really kept you on the edge. In terms of my thoughts for season two so far, um, I'm going to have to say it's very unsettling, but clever. <laughs> so unsettling as in the content that they have or unsettling as in it's like bad TV? The content. Yeah, um, I can feel that. Like, <laughs> yeah. So the violence I had to get used to in season one. So the violence level is pretty much the same. The gore and everything. But uh, 
I'm not going to get into it because this is the spoiler-free section, but I'm just going to say unsettling but clever. (laughs) All right. How about you, Isaac? Are you similar? So I find it less unsettling. I mean, so I... I also watched uh, season one and was uh, very taken with it. And I was very, very much looking forward to a season two. And I, I will say I'm not disappointed, but I will say that I can see what Chen Lin is experiencing. Like when you're watching the show in season two, anytime, uh, and I know I feel this too, anytime that Homelander shows up and he's alone with anyone you get this feeling in your stomach, like, oh, like, oh no, like, like, because the person is so powerless against Homelander that you're you're very fearful of what this scene is going to turn into, um, and just so, and in season two, Homelander's alone with people a lot, uh, unlike with season one where he was more of a uh, sort of a backdrop villain. Now he's he's they center on him more, and so you you see more of these interactions, and you know. You, it can be uncomfortable to watch if you were trying to find something relaxing because it's it's quite suspenseful. Oh, yeah. This is not a show for comfort. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, this is very much a show that um, mirrors probably the worst parts of the real world, which is not something that you get a lot with uh, superhero TV shows. And yeah. season two kind of takes where we are in 2020 to its logical extreme, not so much with pandemic-related issues, but with basically everything else that's happening uh, in the United States. And a lot of that stuff is definitely very uncomfortable. And there's a new character who is, um, to keep it spoiler-free, incredibly unsettling, um, in addition to making Homelander incredibly unsettling. So it's kind of a two for two there. But yeah, I'll I'll mirror what you guys said. I thought that season one was great. I really liked that they kind of just served it up to us on a platter. Do you guys have any qualms with the way that they're releasing season two now? Do you think it works less because uh, you can no longer binge it? I know the bingeables uh, model is something that you guys very much um, enjoy. <laughs> I have no problem, actually, with them releasing it uh, episode weekly after the first three. And this is probably because I've got more critical thoughts of the, sh- of the season currently, but this is not a show I can binge easily on anymore. <laughs> so I'm okay with taking it piece by piece on a weekly basis. Um, although, because I didn't watch the first three episodes when they released, the weekend they released, um, I actually did binge this one. <laughs> <laughs> All the way up to season or episode five. Yes. So I'm okay with it not being released all at once i think for season two given the content i think it's appropriate and from a marketing standpoint it just prolongs the hype yeah i i actually wish it was all released at once mostly because of the way like the season seems to be getting to a slow start Mm -hmm. and so I feel like once you've gotten to see to not season to episode four, you're like, oh, I, I want to see more. I'm ready to start binging it. At least for me, I was ready to start binging it. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's let's just continue watching now. But at the time, there were no more episodes. And it was like, oh, there are no more episodes. We'll have to wait. Strange. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of bizarre because season one actually just kind of just gets you going right away. There's something that happens that I believe the end of the very first episode where there's a huge important death 
and then the show just takes off. Whereas in season two, it is definitely more of a slow build and it's a little bit less um, narratively tight, I would say, mainly because season two kind of opens up the world so much more. And instead of just focusing on the uh, Jack Quaid character, Huey, and his relationship as a prime point of interest, season two seems to be like, well, here's Homelander's story, here's the deep story, here's Huey's story, and kind of... uh, um, Maeve. Butchers, Maves, yeah. So all the characters that we learned to, if not love, at least care about um, or want to watch in season one, they all kind of have their own separate things in season two. Um, right. So I definitely see that, that it like took a while. And then by the end of season, or for me, by the end of episode three, I was like, oh, now I see what they're doing. Let's Let's get going. And suddenly we're already halfway through the season now, and it feels like it's just starting to pick up. Right. Yeah. Uh, so before we hop into spoilers, um, who is this show for just in general, in your guys' opinions? Like, who would like it? Why should people watch it? Um, we know it's based off of a comic book uh, series. Do you need to have seen the series to enjoy this? So uh, as far as the comic would go, I would say that the it's not for super fans of the comic. The stories are... Uh, similar. So they rhyme, but they're not the same. Um, mm-hmm. The graphics are, the sorry, the comics are way more graphic and violent. Wow. <laughs> That's saying um, something. And uh, like there, there definitely just, there are, there are characters that are um, in the comics that aren't in the show. There are characters that are in the show that are not in the comics. Um, but if you, I would say that if you like sort of political intrigue or, sort of uh spy stories uh that the show is pretty good yeah my uh one of my old college roommates actually actually introduced me to this show he said have you heard of this the boys superhero show and i had but hadn't checked it out and he is one of those people that kind of gets very sick of the more traditional superhero story and Mm -hmm. so he really liked this story because it was wasn't necessarily anti-hero but it had a lot of subversions of that genre. And I agree with that, that I think uh, what's really great about the show is that if you are into superhero shows, I feel like there's no reason you aren't already watching this. And if you're not, then it has enough of that kind of, like you said, the political intrigue and um, the political commentary and the deconstruction of like the myth of superheroes and how they seem in the public eye and all of that stuff to entice people who don't necessarily just want to see people in capes fighting each other. I want to uh, politely disagree. (laughs) I feel like uh, a lot of people who enjoy superhero shows, they may not like the boys just because of how dark and cynical it is. Mm. A good example is um, my best friend. She loves The Flash. She loves Arrow. Those two shows on the CW uh, she likes those heroes. She likes those stories. But uh, she actually told me, you know, I've watched like some of the boys, but I just feel like it's too dark for my taste. And I was like, you know what? That's per that makes perfect sense. And I would I I rec I would recommend the show to some people, but not for everyone. Yeah, no, that's perfectly fair. Yeah, I was gonna say if you like shows like. <laughs> I mean, you brought up two great examples, uh, The Arrow and The Flash. Also, I think Supergirl fits that mold. Like, if you like those shows, 
it's it could be that you might not like the boys. I like the boys because it really kind of gives you a insight into like what Lex Luthor's whole argument was all about. Like you can't have this super powerful alien running around mm-hmm. like just accountable to no one and now I don't agree with Lex Luthor's methods, but his this show shows that like his thought process wasn't completely invalid. Yeah, the I, I like that you brought up the CW shows because um, this show, I mean, it is created by Eric Kripke, who I believe also worked a lot on Supernatural, which is another CW show. But for the longest time, I did watch The Flash and The Arrow, and I actually greatly contribute a lot of like the best superhero content on the TV to those shows. Like there is no Daredevil Netflix show without laying the groundwork in in Arrow and shows like that. So I I really do appreciate those shows. And I think the first couple seasons of those shows are very good TV for for what they are. Um, What I'll say is that I started to get a little tired of those shows because I realized that I was really interested in them because of the superhero aspects of it. Like I liked seeing Flash use his powers. I liked seeing the DC characters pop up in um, Arrow. But the the plot that got us from action scene to action scene and the writing that get you that gets you from action scene to action scene is actually pretty weak in those shows. And after a while, when you start getting so many Marvel Marvel movies and so many even Sony movies and all of this stuff, I started to realize, why am I committing 26 hours of every year to a TV show where I'm getting like I am getting good superhero action, but I kind of have to put up with a lot of. Uh, cheesy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And what I think is nice about this show is that there is a lot of that superhero action, but it's really not the drawing point of the show. I think the, um, the, I don't want to spoil anything, I guess, but um, the overall plot of the show to me is a lot more interesting than kind of just watching somebody sort of punch someone. Um, because it is still a TV show, right? Like you can kind of tell that they're restricting the amount that people use their powers for budget sake. And but in a show like Arrow and Flash, where that's what I'm kind of looking for in this, I think the actual narrative makes the show move in a way that is I'm not just waiting for the next time that somebody crashes into a whale. Right. All right. So let's go ahead and take a break here. And when we return, we'll hop into spoilers. Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Okay, we are back, and this is a spoiler warning for The Boys all the way through Season 2, Episode 5. And maybe a little later. Okay, and, <laughs> and a little bit later as well, starting now. 
That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. All right, so we talked a little bit about how the second season compares to the first season. Chinlin, do you want to be a little more specific about what you thought was more upsetting about season two than season one? Okay, spoiler, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we're introduced to a new superhero. Uh, her name is Stormfront. And uh, in the first episode of season two, uh, you're like, oh, okay, so she's this hipster woman from portland who has a huge social media gathering okay <laughs> got it and then see episode two three four nope that's not it it's not it at all she's very very bad <laughs> like um like the other most of the other superheroes of course the season two it starts out very lost and multi-directional um like um you and Isaac brought up in the spoiler-free section, we get tidbits of everybody's stories. It's not quite it's not quite so um, focused on Huey anymore, which I do enjoy. I like seeing Maeve's story. I like to see how uh, Starlight is handling everything, her and Huey and their relationship. It's a little cheesy sometimes, mm -hmm. but I like to see the different storylines. Um, but it felt a little lost to me at first like the writers weren't exactly sure uh, what direction they were aiming for until episode four episode five we realized oh okay so it looks like the second half of season two is leaning more towards uh focusing on uncovering stormfront's secrets and trying to um expose her yeah it very much feels like episode five is kind of a turning point for the show in the sense that the first half of the season, I guess, is sort of just setting up the world again, almost like we the whole point of season one was exposing Vought and getting the compound V and mm -hmm. um, figuring out what was going on with that. And then when that didn't happen at the end of season one, we kind of thought, OK, well, that's what season two is going to be about. It's just a longer story than I originally thought. But they kind of just fix that pretty quickly they're just up oh, compound v out of here and now it's seems to be a lot more about like you said stormfront and stormfront being very clearly a racist neo-nazi right yeah well <laughs> oddly enough probably not so neo right <laughs> yeah so we do find out that she is very old so she could very easily just have been a nazi and um yeah yeah, it's it's interesting how that starts to come to the surface, but I can understand that that's definitely something that you you kind of want to know going into it and like knowing that that's what you're going to be watching, right? Like it, it is upsetting. Oh, that's exactly what I meant when I said this uh, season was very unsettling. <laughs> so I want to say that the name Stormfront is kind of like really on the nose because there's this <laughs> um, very racist website also called Stormfront. So... Uh, I feel like the the name is if if you're not familiar with the with the character or the comics at all, like it's still supposed to like give you a clue as to like what's going on. What's interesting with uh, and Chinlin mentioned this with the introduction of Stormfront at, when she first shows up. I think she's some like second tier 
third tier superhero that is about to get killed by Homelander because she's revealing all these like behind the scenes things about Vought. And I'm like, what are you doing? Homelander is going to kill you. Stop. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, as the as the season progresses, um, it becomes more and more clear that she seems to have a, a different goal in mind. So as far as like how the second season compares with the first, uh, we discussed this a little bit. It seems like the show was on a slow burn uh, for the first part, but I think it may have been a little too slow. And mm-hmm. the one really climactic thing that they have that they have happen in the first half of the show doesn't get a lot of play, and that is that Compound V is revealed to the public, uh, and that's how that's how uh, superheroes get their powers, and it doesn't seem to create as big of a splash as you might expect. And I don't know, I feel like this show just kind of rolls over it too fast. And maybe that's why we all feel like it was such a a slow burn in the first half, because the thing that they may have been trying to sell to us was the reveal of Compound V, but it just kind of happens. And it doesn't seem to be a huge deal plot wise. Like characters are asked to react to it, but it's mostly deflection and, you know, eh, what are you going to do, right? Yeah, the, it is weird because it seems like going from season one to season two that that would still be a huge part of season two. And it makes me wonder if there's a season two of this show that is just kind of extending that plot line. But then they took a step back and they realized Maybe that's not as interesting as we think it is, or maybe suddenly the show is more important to Amazon, so they're going to let us have a bigger budget and do these more on-the-nose political commentary things. Um, Because, yeah, it it does seem like the first half of the season is slowly burning to something while also just barely giving lip service to the kind of leftover strings of season one. Yeah, because uh, speaking of the leftover strings, you know, we find out uh, what's going on with um, Butcher and Homeland, or what mm-hmm. happened with the cliffhanger scene, um, which you know, is strange that you, you give us a cliffhanger at the end of season one, and then you don't immediately show us what happened at the beginning of season two. You go, meh, we'll talk about it later. Um, yeah, and barely. The only <laughs> other show I can think of uh, that has done that was the end of season one of South Park. When they had this big reveal about who was uh, Cartman's dad um, at the end of season one and then the beginning of season two, they're like, eh, we're just going to do a, an episode that has literally nothing to do with South Park. We're going to call it Terrence and Philip, and we'll do that. Uh, <laughs> and then it wasn't until episode two that we went, okay, and the to be continued, we're finally going to continue. It's the only other show I know of that's even tried to do that. And that wasn't received very well back in 1998. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree that it, it did feel like that whole thing also wasn't super important either. And I have to think that they definitely changed the direction of season two um, based on the response of season one. Well, can I talk a little bit about the differences uh, between the comics and the and the show? Yeah, let's do it. Because this is kind of a big one. Um, so... In the comics, uh, Butcher, uh, Butcher's wife is dead, uh, and she died because she was raped by Homelander, and 
the fetus breaks out of her womb uh, in the middle of the night. And Butcher just finds his wife kind of exploded all over the room. And then he has to beat the baby to death with like a crowbar or something. Or Jeez. maybe with his fists. Okay. The, oh, <laughs> so actually that's one of the things that I really like that the show does that uh, is different from the comics is that the show has all the boys with the exception of uh, Kimiko, also known as the female in the comics. Uh, in the show, none of them... I have any exposure to Compound V, whereas in the comics, they all have exposure to Compound V. Oh. So they all have sort of uh, some amount of super strength and some amount of super durability. So they are not completely helpless when it comes to uh, fighting soups. Huh. Also, in the comics, they're literally a part of the CIA. So they're sanctioned by the government. Like, they have some backup, unlike with the show where they are... Quite stripped. They're stripped of their powers in yeah, the show. They, they it's have, a little more. They have no. They have no powers. They have no government backup. They, they're every, a little more helpless. Yeah, I was like, they're literally like relying on favors from people in the government. But like, that's it. So it's a. I I like it because it it makes the stakes so much more difficult. But I do think that leaves open the possibility that some of them will be exposed to Compound V uh, in the future. Wow, yeah. I did not know that that was a thing in the comics. I really don't want that to happen. Depending on how, and I don't know how much they're going to follow the whole plot line of the comics. Um, it doesn't seem like they're going to stick to it uh, very uh, rigorously. But if the main plot point of the end of the series is where they want to take the show, then somebody's going to have to end up with some superpowers uh, because Kimiko can't do it all by herself. So I'm assuming, I mean, I guess maybe we shouldn't spoil the uh, the comic book series, but I'm assuming that the logical conclusion of the show is them eventually just completely taking down Vought and the Seven. Um, so it, sort of, it, it ends up that way, The but the way they get there is not the way you might necessarily expect. Um, Don't spoil the comic books! I'm, I'm not going to, <laughs> but I, I think... That and we, Chinlin and I talked about this before I I started looking at uh, plot synopsis, uh, plot synopses of the comics. Like where where would they take season two or or beyond? And I was thinking, you know, it depends on whether the writers want a satis a satisfying ending or a sort of uh, thematically true ending. Uh, so if they want a satisfying ending, they'll somehow end up with Huey and Starlight. Uh, together after uh, somehow bringing down the seven, probably starting some sort of civil war between the seven. But if they want a thematically true ending, what they'll end up with is a bunch of different factions of supers essentially tearing apart the world in their own struggles for power and leaving Earth in a dystopian future. Yeah, the future of the show is interesting to think about because it seems like to me from season two that this is becoming a show that could very easily end up going for many, many, many seasons. It's it's kind of starting to seem like a flagship Amazon show. Um, it's got right. a lot of buzz going into this second season. I mean, obviously, they've got that Lord of the Rings show coming out, but this is the closest thing that they've had to like a show in the fantasy realm that has this much caliber to it. And so I'm... 
I guess my question for you guys is how many seasons could you see this going on and how many seasons do you want this to go on to? Because I think if the ultimate goal for them is to tear down Vought, you can only not tear down Vought for so many seasons until Billy Butcher becomes tiresome. And and for me, I think this season is already like, I'm a little tired of you kind of being an asshole to everybody. So I don't know how much uh, runway the show has anymore. It's funny you should mention that because that is actually very on character for Billy. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the main themes of uh, the boys is everyone's an asshole. And this really comes through in the comics. Almost every character is irredeemable mm-hmm. um, with the exception of Huey. And Huey is in the comics kind of a flat one dimensional character. Like he's he's always nice and innocent and it like he stays that way and the creator was like well yeah he stays that way because your your other option is to have him be changed by all the violence and everything and that's just going to change him into another like awful awful person so i i think you're right in the future if you're uh if you're going to not destroy vought it, it's going to you can't take it too far i'm sorry chenlin you wanted to say something uh, in terms of s- number of seasons, I was going to say, I think three or four seasons I would be good with. I feel like beyond four might be dragging it out too long. Yeah, I could see this being a world that they want to repeatedly live in. You know, I mean, <laughs> what Walking Dead has like 12 seasons and they're making a new spinoff season and everything like that. I don't think it's it's that level, but I do think that this world is... Even if the show isn't a comfort show, it is a show that I enjoy or it's a world that I enjoy being in and seeing how it's different from our world and seeing them come up with these clever nods to how superheroes have broken into mainstream culture and all that stuff. So I do like that. But in terms of this plot of Billy Butcher, like I I don't really know what he's doing anymore now that he can't really be with Becca. Maybe he can. But like a lot of those characters that I think were really dynamic in the first season, they do feel like some of them are kind of becoming a little either grating or um, running out of things to do. So, for example, like Frenchie, I find doesn't really have anything to do in this season so far. And, you know, I was I was thinking about that, too. Frenchie, because he doesn't have any superpowers, really isn't going to have anything to do Um there, I mean, in the comics, there they were set up to, you know, keep tabs on and liquidate out of control supers, and they don't have that ability here. So Frenchie becomes just this guy that had some connections that were useful in season one, and the only thing that he really can still do is be this sort of soothing uh, presence for uh, Kimiko. Mm-hmm. But now Kimiko's out of control. Yeah. And so, you know, then if he truly gives up on her, which I don't think he will, um, but if he did, like, what else would he do? Like, unless he has some other secret contacts that he wasn't willing to use before, there's not a whole lot he brings to the table. I also think that the overarching goal doesn't have to be destroying Vought. So if I was thinking about number of seasons, you could have Vought destroyed in season three, at the end of season three, and then season four, 
Um, and I think realistically you could get five seasons without it becoming tedious. Mm -hmm. The problem is that, uh, for the comic, they were much more willing to kill off characters because actors don't have contracts in a comic book. Right. So it's not, they're, they're like, yeah, we can kill this character. It's fine. And they did have some weird ways of bringing them back. Um, so in, in the show, they've got Lamplighter and he's just in a, um, He's just in a psychiatric hospital, right? Uh, in the comic, he actually died and they reanimated him as a lesson. Uh, uh, Homelander kept him around as a lesson to the rest of the seven as to what happens when you <laughs> underestimate the boys. Jeez. Yeah. So the, the comics are incredibly dark, um, even more so than the show. But I think that... Uh, with the show, since you're probably not going to ki- kill off your main acting characters, right? What you end up doing is having, like, you can bring down Vought at the end of season three, and then seasons four and five are probably some sort of uh, superhero war. war. Yeah. Yeah. That ends up with, you know, however you want to end the series, uh, with either superheroes taking over or superheroes essentially destroying a planet or superheroes uh, being destroyed themselves by uh, the actions of the boys or or some other entity that gets introduced, right? So I don't know that it lasts much longer than that. It depends on how long the writers think they can keep up the political intrigue because I think that's really what's going to end up driving the show. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of what's going on now, right? Like Maeve is afraid of uh, Homelander and... Like most of her motivation is to just keep her other life out of the eyes of Homelander so that Homelander can't use it against her. Uh, It's an interesting twist on secret identities because in, you know, normal comics, the secret identity is to protect the superheroes, loved ones from uh, villains, not necessarily people on your own team. (laughs) Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Stormfront or not Stormfront, uh, Homelander in this season. He's like, like you said, he's much more at the front of or in in front of the camera uh, this season as opposed to kind of just being this menacing figure in the back. Can you mentioned a little bit that he's he's unsettling, but in terms of the performance, in terms of what he brings to the show, do you like that? Do you want to see him continue to be in the show or? Would you be okay if he is no longer a main villain going forward? Oh, I I love Anthony Starr's performance. He kills it. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he kills a lot of its. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that that scene uh, in episode five when he kind of has the vision of just slaughtering oh. all those protesters. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wow, okay, we I, are I going there. I fell for there. it. Yeah. I thought he did it. Yeah, yeah, so did I. I was like, okay, well, there's no going back on that. Yep. Everyone saw <laughs> it. Like, you're going for the coup now. Sure, let's do it. Let's see how this plan, how this pans out. But then it was like, no, he's kept in check by his own intellect. He understands, like, he can get away with almost anything, but it's still an almost. Like, <laughs> if he can't handle the world turning on him. Yeah, but I I do think that the show has to eventually go there. That is the downfall of that character of him eventually snapping. And I think right, that 
go ahead. It's his ego, right? His ego is very fragile because he is essentially unaccountable to anyone, which means mm-hmm. he can literally do anyone. But if he thinks that anyone perceives a weakness in him, he can't handle it. And he has to either eliminate that person or do something else to prove that he is strong. So if someone comes along and publicly humiliates him, I think it will be the point at which he snaps and the the facade is broken and then it there's no longer this all-American homelander. It's you oh oh crap, we've got a crazy superhero. Yeah, and I, I do think that that once that happens, once that snap happens, uh I'm thinking of Avengers, but once the snap of uh Homelander's ego happens, I think the show does get suddenly a lot more things to explore. And the show has been pretty clever at keeping um, you know, the it feels like the world is lived in, but the story itself is relatively contained to the people that we know. Like we don't see a ton of um the consequences of a lot of their actions other than from the perspective of the superheroes and oh, we have to manage PR and everything like that. But I think one place that the show could still have a lot of interesting things to say is exploring like what does the world look like after a superhero does that, right? And figuring yeah. out how the public as a whole responds to that, not just how the company in charge of that superhero responds to it. Right. Follow a family after a loved one has been, I mean, you kind of had that in season one with Huey and uh, his girlfriend dying, but, you know, find uh, find a different family that's, you know, all normal people. And then they end up having some tragedy befall them through collateral damage. And then you, you can follow them and their what should be normal lives, um, but in the aftermath. And then you can still have background stories about, you know, what's going on with the supers, but the the focus could be on, you know, that that group of normal people yeah. and how they exist in this world. Yeah, I think that would be really smart, really cool story um, to, to follow. Let's go ahead and talk favorite characters, least favorite characters, since we're kind of focusing on Homelander here. Is that, I, I don't know, is that anybody's favorite character that, that'd be kind of messed up? Oh, God no. <laughs> no! No, he's he's definitely if you if you want to talk about favorites and least favorites, uh, least favorite certainly Homelander, because of the unease that I talked about. Whenever he's like in a scene, and there's clearly like there would be no consequences for him to do whatever he wanted in that scene, um, or there would be unchecked consequences. Like it, it, he, if he just wanted to kill Maeve outright, like. Vought would be like, ah, shit. Okay, well, we'll do something about this, yeah. but we're not gonna. <laughs> like, what? What can we do? Right? We have to just manage PR at this point. Uh, so my favorite character, I have two, on the quote unquote good boys side. Um, <laughs> Mother's milk. He's a very soothing presence. I enjoy him. He br- kind of brings some of that um, comic relief that we all need. Mm-hmm. And then my other favorite character is um, Mr. Edgar. I don't even know who that is. The CEO of Vought. Oh, oh, uh, Giancarlo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like anything that he does. But uh, Mr. Edgar is just smart and mysterious and like he does not give a shit 
about Homelander's feelings. <laughs> he just thinks Homelander is throwing a tantrum. He's a child. He's a man-child that he has to manage or at, that Ashley has to manage. But he doesn't, he's not scared of him. And I like that. Watching the show, I feel like, um, I think you should be scared, but um, you're not. And I kind of like that you're not. Because you've got the balls to stand up to him. There's a good reason for that, and I'm sure they will reveal it. It's, uh, I don't think it's necessarily like he is that confident and that he can control the situation. I think he feels like he's got contingencies that he can use to keep Homelander in check. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that it feels like he has something or he knows something that we don't in uh that the audience doesn't and there's yes. very few characters in the show that still have that because most of what we're learning is from huey who is a big ball of nothing in terms of knowing anything <laughs> about what's going on he is a great character he's a good anchor for the show and i think without him the show is is, is really tough to watch but yeah the the mr edgar's character just he's got that twinkle in his eye or something Exactly. So I want to say that for favorite characters, um, you know, my initial thought was Huey because he's... Uh, he's that typical good guy whose journey you're following right. in season one. And and he, he really just wants to do the right thing, like in, in almost every situation, right? He's like, no, let's not kill this person. What, what are you, you know, what are you doing? Why are we torturing people? Let's not do that. I think to go along with Chin Lin, though, Mother's Milk for the show is probably someone I, I would rather watch like, because he seems to be more level headed about everything. And that's something that I kind of prefer in characters. <laughs> uh, I, I like for a character for at least one character to be like, all right, hold on. Let me look at things sort of objectively and, you know, try and react in a semi logical manner. He's, he's more reasonable. He's more level headed. Uh, you just need someone like that in the show as crazy as this. Interesting tidbit, though. The uh, obsession that Homelander has with uh, breast milk is actually from Mother's Milk character in the comics. Um, hmm. Mother's Milk's origin in the comics uh, requires uh, his mother was exposed to compound V waste, I think. And so when he was born, he becomes dependent on her milk to survive. Uh, and I think uh, he keeps her in his in a basement, and that's where he gets the milk from uh, to sustain his life. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So I'm pretty sure they were like, no, let's not do that for the TV show. We'll, uh, we'll make it a weird thing that Homelander has, though, because we're going to make him um, the main villain. So that, that'll be fine. But we won't, we won't do that to one of our hero characters for the show. Yeah, and they don't give any explanation for why his name is Mother's Milk. I like that they start calling him M.M., I think it's because his last name is Milk. Oh, um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, For the show, his last name is Milk. Got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I think he's he's probably my favorite character in season two because, like you said, he's he, I think he's just a genuinely a good guy, but he's not so like gratingly good as Huey is. There's a couple points in episodes where He's you're not just, so naive. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, Huey, get with the program. You're not going to save those people that just crashed the helicopter. Like you, you guys are on the run. Get, get out of there. I, I don't need, come on, Huey. 
Yeah. Get with it. You, you've been in this show for a season now. It's time to figure out your shit a little bit. You know, speaking of, how, what do you think the timeline is right now for uh for this show like how long like how long has it been since Huey's girlfriend exploded on the curbside <laughs> that's a great question i have no idea um cuz it, it may be as little as like a month you know that's what i if, was thinking if you're thinking about it and so i don't know like and that could be why you're not going to see you know too much change from some characters because just the the time period is not that long. And so it's like, oh, no, my nature is to like try and help people. What What do you want me to do, man? Yeah, I, I feel like there's definitely been some time between season one and season two. I, I can't remember what the timeline of season one is, but it does feel like there's at least a little bit of growth with Starlight and Huey's relationship. That's true. And it, so to me, it's it's probably more on the scale of several months, like maybe six months or something. But even so, I mean, he did watch his girlfriend like explode in the middle of the street. So I understand the kids dealing with some stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But that that is a good point to remember that it's like we've been with these characters for two years now. We don't necessarily know if they've actually it had that much time. It hasn't been two years for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we talked a little bit about Homelander. We talked about a lot of the boys. I think the other piece that we've talked briefly about but haven't really fully addressed is the Stormfront character. And she's now kind of getting lined up based on episodes four and five to be the big bad of this season, more so than Homelander, in my opinion. Um, what are your thoughts on how she works in the season so far? So I did some research um, preparing for this episode. and um, Love to hear it. I, f I found this incredibly eloquent intelligently written review of season two and i accidentally spoiled a little bit about stormfront for myself but uh <laughs> the metaphor that the writer of this article if i can find it and share it with you after the, the recording i will i can't repeat everything word for word of what this writer said but i pretty much agree with everything he said so i'm gonna try my best to summarize He's saying that season two is basically a metaphor of racism is a superpower. And it's very clear that Stormfront is that metaphor. She's, uh, she's clearly a racist. She's a bit of a masochist. She's very, very old. We'll find out later how old she really is, where she came from, what are her origins, why is she the way she is. The two most disturbing moments for me involving Stormfront were the two clear racist moments in season two so far, mm -hmm. where she calls Kimiko's brother a yellow bastard, and then that 1970s flashback of what happened to that woman's um, older brother in the rainstorm. Mm -hmm. So season two is a metaphor for racism being a superpower because the, the writers have been very clever in trying to highlight, hey, we're trying to show, we're trying to pick up a mirror and show this is how it's like if superheroes are in a capitalist society, how are they being handled? Well, don't forget that she's also uh, very adept at using social media. So they're also, you know, yeah. using, showing that, that that is a weapon that racists 
uh, use to mm-hmm. spread their message, right? Because yes. she's spreading her message very much through social media. Yeah, there's a scene at the end of episode five where she's kind of confronted by um, Starlight, or maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. They're in uh, Stormfront's trailer, and Starlight kind of semi confronted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Starlight gets caught trying to snoop, and then Starlight turns around, and is like, "Hey, what? I what did you do? Why did you bring my mom into this? Yeah, I mean, I- forget why I'm in your trailer right now. <laughs> it was actually a really good uh, idea on her part. I was like, oh, that actually was. Right. I was like, no, that tracks. That feels like a a legitimate reason to like be in the inner trailer waiting for. That's good. Yeah. But there is a moment where Starlight kind of has her eyes flicker and tries to threaten Stormfront and Stormfront Mm -hmm. just dismisses it in this just just a completely fiendish way. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but if you've ever been like teased in school or anything, you know, that feeling of somebody just like. You think you're trying to get the one up on them and and they just, yeah, they just tear you down with just that look. And she said, oh, that's really cute or something. And at that moment, I was like, God, this woman is completely fiendish. It it was, I mean, it's it's a great performance by Aya Cash. Um, But yeah, she is, she is a terrifying villain just by, like you said, being able to kind of control her whole narrative. Like she's Homelander if Homelander knew how to maintain his image. And that's terrifying. Right. And <laughs> there's more truth in that than you probably realize. The, and I think their their plan for this season, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here, but I think that their plan for Stormfront for season two is for her to either team up, sort of team up with, but really blackmail homelander into uh her becoming sort of the face of the seven Mm -hmm. uh i think that's that's what her move is like she is going to befriend him to try and get him on her side but if she has to she will you know use whatever means necessary to make him subservient to her yeah and it's very clear that with only three episodes left it seems like they're Building up to a new status quo as opposed to a takedown of Stormfront. Right. Because I think the end of season two will be something like Stormfront reveals all her cards and she is in complete control of whatever it is she she wanted. Like, I feel like end of season two is going to be Stormfront has succeeded in her plan. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to be the cliffhanger that we have to wait on for season three. And season three is going to be trying to overthrow Stormfront. Yeah. Well, I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, I don't know. I guess overall so far, are you guys happy with uh, season two? Chinlin, I know that you you said that you were a little more critical of season two than season one, but overall, do you think it's a good season two or is this something you wish had ended in season one? After reading that article that I mentioned, I actually kind of appreciate the the cleverness of the writers now. (laughs) So I am looking forward to the last three episodes of season two. I'm still a little nervous, but (laughs) (laughs) I I do, I am, I still have that curiosity. I do want to know what happens. I would like to see the boys have some sort of win for once. (laughs) I don't think it's going to happen because that's just the nature of the show. Which is interesting because 
that's not the nature of the comics. Like in the comics, there's uh, they talk about all these uh, other sort of lesser uh, superhero teams. There's a uh, payday, I think, or payback. Uh, there's a there's a team that's like just one step below the seven, and then there's like a, a bunch of other lesser teams, and that's one that uh, Starlight came from. And the the boys regularly are putting those teams down, or putting them in place, or killing off the bad. Uh, characters hmm. so for this show when they they can't ever seem to get a win it's uh it is kind of frustrating because it's you know you you want your team to I, I mean we all kind of feel like we're on the side of the boys and that's probably because the boys aren't as flawed as they are in the comics like in the comics you're like oh all these people are kind of terrible i i really want them all to die <laughs> or you know yeah uh in the show you're like um you know, Huey and Mother's Milk are all right. Butcher, I don't know. Um, and then there's a dog. So yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, Terry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ter- oh, and and that was actually a nod to uh, to comic the comic book fans is that uh, that was the one thing that Butcher taught the dog to do. He would say "fuck it," and then the dog would just go have sex with whatever um, <laughs> Butcher was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Good boy. Uh, all right. Well, um, that's, I think, probably going to end it for our, our thoughts on season two so far. But we'll definitely have to reconvene in three episodes and see how it all pans out. Um, okay. Let's go ahead and move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. So I take it that you guys have probably been watching very similar things. What have you guys been watching? So I briefly mentioned this at the beginning. I've been watching Star Trek The Next Generation. We recently covered it for our bonus episode. It's Mm. a two-part bonus because there's so much to talk about, and I really enjoy this show. It's like a new obsession. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've also started watching Young Sheldon. It's a spinoff of uh, The Big Bang Theory and focuses on Sheldon and his childhood in Texas. And I actually enjoy it a lot. It's really cute. It's on HBO Max. And like I only I just started season one and I think I'm like halfway through already because it's so enjoyable. It's just an easy watch. How similar to Big Bang Theory is it? Honestly, it's very different. There's no laugh track, which I actually like because I think that I I feel like the laugh track at this point is kind of outdated for sitcoms. But it's it's a nice family show. It kind of just takes your mind off of everything and you just focus on a little boy and his quirks. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the there seems to be this like mentality out there that Big Bang Theory is awful or something. And I mean, I don't watch it anymore and I didn't watch it for the last several seasons or whatever, but I find that show kind of funny sometimes. So I've never You're like me. Yeah, yeah. So I I've never been I've never understood the the hive mind hate of the Big Bang Theory. So I, I definitely am interested if, if uh, young Sheldon sounds good. And, you know, it's always nice to have like a just low-key comedy. Yes, exactly. I would call it low-key comedy. Um, yeah, give it a try. Um, uh, I felt the same way about Big Bang Theory for a while. It was funny, but I wasn't like completely hooked on it. I was willing to wait until the entire series was over and then did a full binge. Mm-hmm. Other things uh, I've watched uh, movie-wise, because this is the Movie Marathoners <laughs> podcast, yeah. um, we just watched uh, Detective Pikachu. For the first time? 
Yeah, uh, it was on HBO Max. I've been wanting to watch it forever. So I finally got around to it. I love Detective Pikachu. Uh, I am an unabashed Pokemon fan. And so Detective Pikachu just hit the right nerves for me where I was just like, I I know this movie's probably bad objectively, (laughs) but I loved watching it. I saw it twice in theaters so that I could get the Pokemon cards that they gave you when you saw it in theaters. It was it it's such a cute movie and um mm-hmm. somehow they managed to make live action pokemon not seem terrifyingly awkward for the most part right like i so i don't think it was like an awesome movie but i i it was enjoyable for yeah. the time you watched it yeah yeah i liked it i mean and i'm normally like i normally hate movies <laughs> <laughs> I'm normally just picking them apart. And there were a few times in that movie where I was like, dead? Nope, you're dead. You fell like 60 feet. You're dead. Yeah, yeah. And again. And again. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I, I really enjoyed the movie. You're, you're right. They made live action Pokemon not seem awkward. Yeah, especially with the Pikachu design. And I, I think the the best part was that they chose Pokemon that could easily be translated into live action. Like there's some weird ones out there. And I mean, I guess they did also pick some really weird ones, like Apom looks kind of terrifying in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's a great movie. It is on HBO Max as well, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So definite endorsement from from me over here. I I love Detective Pikachu. Oh, yeah. I also grew up on Pokemon. So it was just one of those, you know, you got to see it. Yeah. Um, And then another movie I watched uh, recently was um, Bicentennial Man. I was feeling nostalgic for uh, Robin Williams movies, and this was one I watched when I was little. So, like, I hadn't seen it since I was little. It was, it's been that long. So I rewatched it, and I have a greater appreciation for it. I've never seen this movie, so. Oh, you gotta. Okay. Where, where'd you check it out? I think it was on HBO Max. Oh, that is a good question. I don't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I would definitely check it out. That should be on my list. I, I just had like, there's so many old movies. I feel like when I was a kid, I watched a couple movies like a billion times and my parents never bothered me, like never bothered to show me any of the um, the movies that were around then. So like I missed a ton of 90s movies, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, it's like I, I'm sure I watched uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, The Secret of the Use, probably six, seven hundred times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, Isaac, did you have anything else that you had been watching or same? Yes. Stuff? So I've uh, I've been in addition to Star Trek: The Next Generation, I've been actually watching Star Trek: Lower Decks on CBS All Access. Oh yeah, I've heard about this. I really like it. It's really good. It's tongue-in-cheek about the Star Trek, the Next Generation universe, but it's still good. It's animated, so, you know, you don't have to worry about your characters aging <laughs> or suddenly not being able to be look like a robot anymore. And it, it's funny, um, which is uh, which is what I like. I think I, I probably prefer it over the Orville if I'm looking for a, a show that is Star Trek-like mm-hmm. but also funny. Um, and the only other thing that I've been uh, watching recently is uh, I've been rewatching the Chappelle show a little bit. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Star Trek thing, the thing I always ask with these shows is as somebody who's not a Trekkie, like I've never seen The Next Generation or any of the older movies. I've seen the J.J. Abrams stuff. 
is it a show that you can still watch if you're not steeped in the Star Trek culture or is it kind of just for Star Trek fans? The Next Generation was my first exposure to anything Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I I never watched the original show. I never watched the Star Trek movies, the J.J. Abrams ones that you're referring to. So, yeah, I recommend The Next Generation. It's very episodic. I don't know if you heard our part one bonus uh, recently, but uh, the thing that we wanted to get across to anybody who is new to Star Trek The Next Generation is you could skip the first two seasons. In fact, uh, in fact, you, what you really should do is do exactly what I did to get uh, Chin Lin into it, uh, which was start with the last episode of season three and the first episode of season four. And then, you know, you'll probably just want to continue at that point. But at some point you might go, you know, I want more Star Trek. Let me watch some of those episodes before that I didn't watch. Mm. Um, but for Lower Decks, I would say that if you don't know much about the Next Generation universe, a lot of the jokes are going to be lost on you. Okay. And so I would have to show it to somebody that hasn't uh, had any experience with um, Star Trek. Star Trek universe, I, I'm not sure how enjoyable it would be. It should still be kind of funny, but there will be a lot of like Easter eggs and nods that you're just going to miss for sure. Got it. Yeah. Star Trek is definitely just one of those cultural blind spots that I've been meaning to fill for a long time, but haven't gotten around to it. So, And I'll say that I haven't watched the original series or any of the, uh, I think I've seen one of the movies with the original cast, mm -hmm. but uh, I watched some of the next generation uh, as I was growing up. So I've seen all of the Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and all of the Next Generation movies. So the Next Generation kind of universe is is really my wheelhouse. But yeah, if you're if you're trying to just kind of get a feel for it, like I said, start with the Next Generation episode, the last episode of season three, and you'll very surely be hooked uh, at that point. And then I won't have to give you any more guidance. You'll just want more. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Um, so, okay. What have I been watching? I've seen a lot of stuff, but the one thing that I'll talk about is I finally got to see Tenet by going to the drive-ins. One of these bullets is like us, traveling forwards through time. The other one's going backwards. Can you tell which is which? How about now? Why does it feel so strange? Yeah, shooting the bullet. You're catching it. Whoa. Have you guys seen Tenet? No, I've um, I heard the uh, review on Fresh Air or All Things Considered, one of those two NPR shows. Um, can't remember which. I think it was All Things Considered. So you go ahead. So I was expecting not to like this. Um, I have not liked Christopher Nolan's last two movies. So I was oh. going in pretty skeptical. Yeah, I, I, I really hated Interstellar and um, I wasn't a huge <laughs> fan of Dunkirk. But um, this uh, okay. movie. I was like, I, I can't re couldn't remember what his last two movies were. I haven't seen Dunkirk. I also was not really a fan of Interstellar. Interstellar was so frustrating because they pretend to give this like pretentious and weighty themed reveal at the end of the power of love and all this crap and like 
I, 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 I'll talk about it a little bit with Tenet, but I think that Christopher Nolan is terrible at creating anything that has to do with emotional stakes. And where his <laughs> okay. movies work for me are on the spectacle and the the thought level. And here's this premise that I think is really cool. I'm going to film it and I'm going to show you how it works. But the second that they start going, oh, you know, this is actually all about my son or this is all about my dead wife. I'm like, your characters are talking an awful lot about their ex- uh, their emotions out loud. And that does not make me actually believe that your characters are real characters. That makes me feel angry. <laughs> yeah. It makes me feel happy. There's there's like a line in Tenet, um, which I will say I, I very much enjoy, but there's a line in Tenet where it's like the whole world's going to die. And then one of the characters goes, including my son. And it's just like, okay, yeah, I get <laughs> it. You're like, a mom. Okay, that's really ham-fisted. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So, I mean, I think this movie actually works great because it is just pure cinematic spectacle. It's not desperately trying to give you this thesis on how love transcends time and space it's um it's a bit of a mess because it's really really confusing and i don't think it's the type of confusing that's like oh you just didn't pay attention well enough i think it is it's it's an intentionally confusing movie it warrants multiple viewings it's season two westworld confusing (laughs) yeah except not as frustrating um because the thing about the movie is that despite it being confusing it's just fun to watch. Like you don't necessarily need to understand everything to be able to enjoy the movie. And there's a pretty surface level understanding that you can get very quickly by knowing what the premise is, which I won't spoil, but we know it's Christopher Nolan. So it has to do with timey stuff, timey wimey stuff. And the actual understanding of what's happening with the time in this movie is relatively easy to understand why characters do things and how it all interacts that's a little confusing but i do think that the movie just works as visual spectacle it's it's amazing to watch he's really good at just making action scenes where you go that's badass and i really enjoyed the movie for that um can't say i'm a tenet scholar but i did read some things online and now i'm really excited to see it again which makes it pretty upsetting that you can't go to theaters or at least I'm not going to theaters and I would really love to watch this movie again, but I guess I'll just wait until it pops on HBO max in six months. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) I, I do definitely think this is worth your time when you can eventually see it. And, uh, I, I really enjoyed it even though it's nowhere near like, uh, a masterpiece, like some of his other movies. I haven't watched that many Christopher Nolan films, but I can tell you my two favorite ones are The Dark Knight and um, Inception. Yeah. So I think both of those, like like even Inception, right? A lot of the characters, the way that they express their desires are, it's it's very expositional. They're very, I need to get my kids because I'm Leonardo DiCaprio or I'm really sad. <laughs> that my wife is dead and it works a little bit better in that movie i think because leonardo dicaprio is such a talented actor but i think Mm -hmm. that that movie also is just carried on how cool the idea of inception is right like the visual style of that movie and then the ambiguous ending and just the execution of that premise to me makes me go that's why i love inception Mm -hmm. so i think this one is similar if not definitely more confusing (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I am willing to wait because I am not going to theaters right yeah, now. Yeah, I think that is perfectly fair. And I recommend this movie in only the cases where like, like we drove an hour to go see this in like a Rhode Island drive-in. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, it, it was something that I was looking forward to for a while. So it was it was fun. But um, theaters are open here in Boston, but I'm definitely not going to them for at least the rest of the year. But that's Tenet. Um, Definitely check it out if you can safely. So this has been our review of the first five episodes of season two of The Boys. Chinlin, Isaac, thank you guys so much for joining me. I hope we can collaborate together again soon because this was a blast and it really helped me solidify my thoughts on where I want The Boys to go forward. Is there anything you guys would like to plug here? Um, We have a Twitter account uh, that we enjoy you know people engaging with us if possible uh it's at bingeables pod and we also have an email address if anybody wants to contact us ask questions bingeables pod at gmail.com and our podcast is available on all major pod chasers and now as of friday including Amazon Music. So if you go to Amazon Music, they now have a podcast section. And if you just search The Bingeables Podcast, you can now find us there as well. Oh, cool. I'll have to hop on that myself. I'm going to put you on the spot. Is there one Emmy win that you absolutely want to happen tonight? Oh, my God. I've been so bad with keeping up with the news. <laughs> so I will say, no, There, there's not. I don't have any opinion. <laughs> I'm trying to limit social media right now, so I haven't, I've intentionally not read anything about the Emmys, but I do enjoy watching, so I want to see if I can watch it tonight. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that Succession gets the win. I'm pretty sure it's like the heavy favorite, but I love that show, so I'd be excited if Succession gets as much love as it can. Um, I remember when nominations came out, uh, Watchmen got several, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, tons. I, I would like to see Watchmen win uh, at least three or four for acting and um, storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. And leaving fans hanging. Jerks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that ambiguous but kind of not ending. Oh. Yeah, so that that was the funny part. Like you listen to the creator on a podcast and he's like oh no i don't think it was a cliffhanger ending i'm like well what do you mean you don't think it was a cliffhanger <laughs> well, then why didn't you just show it if like <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well anyways let's uh hopefully it's it's a, a smooth and efficient show being virtual and everything we'll see the intro music for this episode is a piece called work by kevin mcleod and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com if you'd like to keep up with our podcast and find out when we release new episodes you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, evergreenpodcasts.com slash Movie-Marathoners. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Overcast, Himalaya, and CastBox. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time for a TBD topic. There's really an absence of content coming up here, uh, so I am open to suggestions. But until then, bye. Hello. 
welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.